Hello and welcome to The Place to Be, a Seinfeld podcast. I'm your host, Adam. And I'm Eric. On today's episode, we'll be discussing all the movies on Seinfeld with one of our favorite Seinfeld fans, Brendan. Brendan runs the Instagram account at Champagne Video Store, and we couldn't think of a more perfect person to have on to discuss this topic with us. Thank you for being with us, Brendan. Oh, thanks so much for having you guys on. Excited to uh, talk today. Yeah, so um, before we discuss our favorite movies on Seinfeld, can you talk a little bit about your Instagram page and how you first got started with it? Sure. Um, so I started my page probably like three, four years ago, which seems crazy to think about. Um, so it's it's kind of a weird niche. It kind of started out as um, I got into like a weird uh, rabbit hole a couple of years ago about uh, VHS tapes, the people who kind of make them, the covers, different artwork involved, and kind of stumbled across that there's a whole scene of people who kind of still collect them. Um, and then there's a few people out there who are doing like custom VHS of like modern movies. So they would do like, here's Star Wars, The Force Awakens, and they, they make it look like the old ones on home video or whatever. Right. So I, I always thought that was kind of neat. And, um, but to me, I thought it'd be more interesting if they did movies that didn't actually exist. And I'm a huge Seinfeld fan. I've been watching it since I was probably way too little to watch it, like 25 <laughs> years or whatever at this point. Um, so my mind immediately went to, you know, the fake movies in Seinfeld. Uh, it's such a fun recurring bit. I think all those fans kind of appreciate it, like the Rochelle Rochelle and all of that. So uh, a couple of years ago, I, I kind of fooled around. I, I'm, I'm not much on graphic design, but I kind of learned a little bit. actually made uh, like a fake VHS for Rochelle Rochelle. And I kind of said the only way to, to put it out there would be a little online store. And, of course, I followed so many accounts on Instagram that post about Seinfeld all the time. So I figured I might as well make my own to kind of promote it. Um, so nowadays I'm posting like all the time on Seinfeld in general. Um, it's like a mix of trivia and memes and, you know, video compilations, all kinds of stuff. So it's kind of all over the place, but, um, every once in a while I'll try to plug a tape of, you know, Rochelle Rochelle or, um, sack lunch that I've kind of made. I, I sell those online. So it's, it's been a lot of fun. Yeah. It's such a great page. All Seinfeld fans should check out champagne video store on Instagram. And with that, we'll let you start it off. Uh, which movie would you like to discuss with us first? Well, I think the biggest one, you know, that I went to immediately was, uh, Rochelle Rochelle. I think that probably appears in oh, yeah. like at least three episodes. It's kind of, there's a few plots that revolve around it. That definitely seems to be like the biggest of the, of the, the Seinfeld movies. Yeah, um, it's, it's funny cause Rochelle Rochelle, it has not, it's not only a movie, it also is a musical, and it has all these different adaptations, and it seems to be such a big thread throughout the Seinfeld universe. Because um, when I was making my list of fake movies, I was trying to f- write down the episodes that they were in, and you know most of them are only in one or two episodes. And it's like you get to Rochelle, Rochelle, and it's like, oh, there's <laughs> so many episodes that it gets mentioned in. <laughs> right. First you see it, it's like a film, and they're actually trying to see it, and then. I think a season later it's on video and George tries to rent it. And uh, of course he gets the rewind fee. So he tries to, you know, bring it back later. And <laughs> and then they, you know, even a season or two after that, they bring it back when they do the musical with Bette Midler and everything. So um, yeah, that's definitely the biggest. It's, it's um, kind of the funniest. I feel like 
a lot of the Seinfeld movies are they're kind of funny, just like titles or maybe it's like a vague parody. But I feel like Rochelle, Rochelle, you kind of get the most info or, or kind of impressions on what that movie actually is and and uh, kind of how the characters react to it. So I think there's a lot of a lot of meat on the bone with that one for sure. Yeah, young woman's strange erotic journey from Milan to Minsk. It's a story about life, love, and becoming a woman. <laughs> and I just love the line that men can sit through the most pointless, boring movie if there's even the slightest possibility that a woman will take her top off. <laughs> Your point being? <laughs> yeah, I think Elaine nails it with that one because of the kind of whole joke. Um, I, I'm pretty sure Rochelle Rochelle is supposed to be based on um, – I mean, it, is, it kind of seems to be based on a few things in general, but there, I know there's one movie in particular. It's kind of like a cult movie back in the 70s. I think it was called Emmanuel, which um, it was in that window of time, I think, in the 70s. Where there was a lot of what would have been considered pretty racy movies that are almost like borderline softcore porn was being released. <laughs> but, you know, if it was like presented the right way, like it was something like high art, then it was almost acceptable. Um, and Emmanuel was one of those ones where it was European. I think it was a French production. Um, they they kind of made it seem like it was this big artsy movie when it was just anyone going to see it was clearly just there for, you know, TNA or whatever. So yeah. um, I hear it's pretty hot. <laughs> <laughs> and some of the best parts, of course, are just hearing the movie in the background with Larry mm-hmm. David. We hear bits and pieces, you know, my name is Rochelle. I'm from Milan. I'm supposed to visit my relatives in Minsk. And, uh, you know, Larry's like, here, stand by the fire. Take off those wet clothes. You'll catch a cold. <laughs> I I was just rewatching that part the other day. I thought it was pretty good because there's that that's part where George is, is uh, in the theater watching. And he's like transfixed at the screen. Yeah. yeah. And it's right at the part where it sounds like Rochelle is about to take her top off. There's like a super <laughs> tall guy sits right in front of him. He's trying to be around it. So. And of course, it's all men in the theater. Yeah, exactly. Like no women in sight. So the interesting thing, too, is with Rochelle Rochelle, it's from Milan to Minsk. And like it makes the geography nerd come out in me because like Minsk is in Belarus, which is like former Soviet state. So back in that time, it's like, you know, did she go to Milan? Because that's in Italy. That was like a free area and she's making her way back. So it sort of gives a little bit more depth that I think that's that's really interesting because I know Larry David was a big history buff. So he probably picked those cities specifically and because they also sounded funny. Yeah, I was going to say they're also funny names. Yeah. We also hear in the movie that Rochelle says, my father was a shoemaker. He worked very hard and we didn't have much money. And then Larry says, oh, Rochelle, Rochelle, what are we going to do with you? <laughs> You're being absurd. Leave me alone. Yeah, she says, I'm going away tomorrow. Where? Where are you going? Take me with you. Oh, don't be a silly goose. <laughs> so stupid. <laughs> it is. It's always funny. I mean, you could kind of, obviously, the more you watch the show, you, you appreciate those things. But you could tell the Larry David, like, audio cameo. Oh, yeah. Every out, it's his voice that they use for, like, the background. Is Yeah. It's always a treat to figure that stuff out. And I love how she's like, you're being absurd. Leave me alone. He's like, Rochelle, Rochelle, do you love me? (laughs) (laughs) And then then the lady just, oh, give me a break. (laughs) (laughs) Do you guys have any thoughts like what the movie can be about? I know she's on this journey, but I always thought like maybe she meets several men along the way and eventually finds her one true love and he meets her parents in Minsk. That that seems like a pretty reasonable uh, guess at what it is. Like I kind of – 
like I said before, I think the almost joke is that they kind of present it like there's plot, but it's the plot's just almost secondary to just seeing right. a lot of nudity and maybe some European, you know, vistas or whatever. That's true. But at the same time, they also made it into this Broadway musical. <laughs> right. So it's possible that the movie did have like this, this deep plot where, you know, it's about life and love and becoming a woman. And maybe that's, <laughs> maybe that's seriously what it's about. And then, they go to see it, you know, with, with Bette Midler of all people, like this big <laughs> Broadway star. And, um, it, well, and kind of like I said before, you know, it's like maybe she's going back. Maybe it's not so much about a love of a person. Maybe it's like the love of her family. And like, she's trying to go back and rescue someone from behind the iron curtain, you know, so, or like some deep historical meaning. But yeah, when they, when they made the movie, of course, like you said, <laughs> yeah, the guys just went to it because you know, it's not even frontal nudity, it's sidle nudity. <laughs> <laughs> Very tasteful, yeah. I was going to say, I was going to, you kind of took the words out of my mouth before and you said how they turned that into a musical. It seems like the last kind of movie that you would want to <laughs> translate into like a Broadway <laughs> musical and bring your family to and everything. But right. <laughs> uh, So the next one, I think, would definitely have to be Chunnel. Everybody out of the Chunnel! <laughs> <laughs> The tagline is Chunnel, 32 Miles of Hell. (laughs) And the first bit of dialogue we hear is the English Channel Tunnel or Chunnel runs 32.3 miles with two openings, one here in England and the other here in France. That's all we've got. Thank you for your time. (laughs) (laughs) We also hear, I don't care if we have to turn this Chunnel upside down, find him. (laughs) Everybody out of the channel. Everybody out. <laughs> yeah, so definitely some like thriller, disaster movie, you know. Mm-hmm. Somebody, you know, some terror, some vaguely uh, Eastern European terrorist is trying to <laughs> blow up the channel. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We also hear, Mr. President, I, I'm sorry to inform you, but your daughter is in the channel. Oh yeah. <laughs> Somewhere between France and England. So <laughs> I hear this, I think of like Liam Neeson you know, trying to rescue oh, his right. daughter. <laughs> right. Or like Air Force One or something like that would have been around the same time. I also want to know, like, how did this plot start? Like, who exactly is the mastermind behind this to kind of trap the president's daughter? Like, what is he trying to gain out of this? I don't know if you guys have any theories. Well, yeah, like I said, it probably like a Gary Oldman type character playing this, you know, vaguely Eastern European, like, Oh, well trying to get some ransom. One million (laughs) dollars. But, um, that, that was my first thought. Uh, Jerry also talks because the Jerry standup carries into this episode. where he's like, why did they kill that guy? Oh, I thought he was with them. So it's definitely one of those movies where you really have to pay attention and, there's a lot of like double crossing and a lot of, oh, you know, I thought this person was with them, but what, what, you know, why are they in the channel? You know, they're actually trying to help the president's daughter. And it's like the last person you'd expect, play, you know, played by like one of those actors that's vaguely familiar. Like, oh, yeah, I've seen that guy in something. Yeah, you know, that's not the guy. That's a different guy. <laughs> <laughs> what is he doing in the channel? Exactly. <laughs> I'm definitely imagining that kind of like the diehard thing where they have the crew of terrorists, but they're not necessarily politically motivated because the movie doesn't really want to make a statement. They're just sort of generic terrorists (laughs) after money. And yeah. Yeah. Like 
So the next one I have that's a little underrated, I think, is Checkmate. And Larry has some great dialogue in, in this movie. Well, what is it, Your Majesty? If anyone asks, tell them it wasn't me. Why would anyone ask? Damn it. When I tell you something, you damn well better listen. Now I'm getting tired of all these questions. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Your Majesty. I'm sorry, Grendel. I've been very taxed lately. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was something I wrote down was the name Grendel, where he's uh, talking to this person. And I did kind of have something um, that I thought of when I was watching this episode about what this movie might be about. Uh, so one theory I had was it was like there's this this big chess master that lives in, you know, like America and there's this monarchy that's overseas, maybe like, again, Eastern Europe or something, you know, one of these made up Hollywood countries. They want to and he's like a chess master and they want to bring this this chess wizard over from the U.S. to like defeat him in this coup. And that's what it's about. And Grendel is sort of the guy that's betraying the king, but is also acting like he's the king's assistant. Like, you know, Grendel's the one that's bringing the, the chess master over from the U.S., but also at the same time pretending he's the, the only one that the king can trust. I always thought that Larry David's character was trying to kill the king in some way. Right, because there's also, you hear that one bit of dialogue where it's like, uh, well, a king, I didn't think you would enjoy chess because the king is always in jeopardy. I think he's Right, like, right. What is it, Adam? It's, uh, I didn't yeah. know you enjoy chess, your majesty. Why wouldn't I? Well, because the king is always in jeopardy. Yes, but it's only a game. Mm, yes, of course. Only a game. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's such like a heavy-handed dialogue to right. put in the movie you could totally imagine being yeah. in a theater and seeing that exactly another one we have to mention of course is prognosis negative oh yeah prognosis negative <laughs> let's go people it's prognosis negative time <laughs> <laughs> And for those who don't know, it Prognosis Negative was an unproduced screenplay written by Larry David in 1988. It's about a man who receives a negative result on a medical test, which he mistakenly believes to be bad, which obviously reminds me of George in the <laughs> pilot. You know, oh, why? Why? A biopsy? Oh, my God. Cancer? Is it cancer? <laughs> negative is good? Oh, oh yes, of course. <laughs> I also heard that um, in an interview with Terry Gross on NPR that prognosis negative is about a single guy who is unable to commit to a relationship. So when he finds out an ex-girlfriend has six months to live, he decides it's perfect. He can commit without worrying about long-term consequences. So I've heard that as well. I'm not exactly sure the story, but it's somewhere in the middle of those two. That definitely sounds like a Larry David kind of storyline. Yeah. <laughs> Although Absolutely. the movie doesn't sound like that. The movie seems like it's about this mad scientist. Yeah, that was something I wanted to bring up because it seems like Prognosis Negative is this big blockbuster that everybody wants to go see and is so amazing. But then Jerry also says, oh, you know, it was really boring. Like, <laughs> it's one of these movies that I felt like I've seen it and walked out in the middle of it. <laughs> <laughs> so I actually always wondered that about Jerry. Did he really dislike the movie? Or and did he walk out on it or did he just not want to see it again? Well, I think that um, he wouldn't have necessarily said all that if he thought it was good. Like he would have just kind of mm -hmm. 
kept his mouth shut because Kramer's like, oh, I hear that's supposed to be great. And Jerry's like, oh, it's not. Right. And I don't think he would have gone that far. Yeah, he does do that that kind of awkward, the, uh, like, oh, it's so boring. I, I heard, I heard, is <laughs> from what I heard kind of thing where he's trying not to implicate himself to tell Lane right. if, having seen it. Exactly. One that I think my favorite one actually is probably uh, Death Blow. Oh, yes. <laughs> when someone wants to blow you up, not because of who you are, but for different reasons altogether. <laughs> oh, man, we're missing the Death Blow. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just love... Like the big dumb action blockbuster movie, you know this has to be. Um, I think it might be my, maybe my favorite episode, The Little Kicks, and that that plot line yeah. with Cherry where he's caught into uh, pirating the movie, and yeah, then he that, kind of becomes like out of nowhere, he becomes like this auteur who has a ton of integrity about how he bootlegs movies. That whole little plot line, I just, I just love. It's it's a legitimate business. It's not legitimate. It's a business. <laughs> Just shoot the damn thing so I can get it out on the street. <laughs> well, I just want to say about Death Blow, I love that little scene. And then when they're outside talking about it, Jerry and Kramer, and then you hear from the outside that explosion. Oh, we're missing the Death Blow. Like I said before, it's so realistic because we've all been in the movie theater when there's some action movie playing and oh, all yeah. of a sudden you hear it from the outside. And I always wanted to know why did Kramer think the Hawaiian guy deserved the final death blow? <laughs> <laughs> One part that confused me is I think you do hear there's like a bit of dialogue you do over here where someone says something like uh, death blow, we meet again or something like that. So it sounds like death blow is the name of a character. But then <laughs> Kramer mentions like the guy getting the final death blow. So it's kind of confusing if it's. Yeah both an event and a character or what's going on but yeah i think that what what's most likely is this character has some name that's maybe kind of boring or generic and then but he's known for this move or this whatever that defeats people that can't do it and yeah he just goes by the nickname death blow it's like oh you get the death blow if you know you're a terrorist or if you're a you know, evil businessman or something. I don't know. But. Yeah, I always kind of pictured like a big cast for this movie, like Reservoir Dogs or something like that. Um, Ocean's Eleven. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so since we were talking about Pronosis Negative before, I love the movie Ponce de Leon. I love <laughs> to speculate on that one, especially because when George brings it up in the movie, he says, hey, when Ponce realized, looked in the mirror and realized that he had, that nothing had changed and that tear started to roll down his cheek, I lost it. <laughs> <laughs> and when I went and rewatched the dog, I realized that that was probably one of the main contributors to why the scene in Monks was so awkward between Elaine and George. Because George is right. probably breaking down in the theater. <laughs> And in the movie, Elaine says, oh, Ponce I hated that. <laughs> oh, come on. That fountain of youth scene at the end when they're all splashing around and they go running over to the mirror to see if it really worked. I mean, come on. That was so <laughs> stupid. <laughs> I do like how later on there is this scene where uh, George watches Home Alone and Jerry walks in on him. Kind of the same right. thing where he broke down at the end <laughs> of it. I guess it's maybe George has a sensitive you know, aside when watching these movies. That's entirely possible. And plus George has mentioned, he mentioned in the revenge, he likes history and he can teach history. 
So I think that he he does have the side of him that maybe wants to see this historical movies and you know and it was probably like Ponce de Leon was probably a good movie but what I see for a pattern in Seinfeld is like they'll put the really good movie and we'll get to another fake movie later that goes with the quote unquote good real movie and they kind of put like a good movie with a quote unquote like bad movie or cheesy movie yeah I also noticed that this movie is always sold out so that leads me to believe that Maybe it gets really good reviews and probably up for a bunch of Oscars, stuff like yeah. that. Mm, I can see that for sure, yeah. So the next one I have that's definitely one of my favorites is Firestorm. Oh, yeah. Firestorm, <laughs> a that's a hell of a picture. <laughs> <laughs> hey, hey, I haven't seen it yet. <laughs> it has nothing to do with the plot. Still, still, I like to go in fresh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he talks about, remember when they had that helicopter land on top of the car? <laughs> Harrison Ford jumped out of the plane and he was shooting back at them as he was falling. What about the underwater escape? Oh man. <laughs> yeah, it seems like everyone loves this movie. Jerry saw it twice. Right. I think they mentioned that in the movie phone, right? Yeah, Jerry saw it twice, he'll tell you. <laughs> I was gonna say I do love that. For some reason, Mr. Ross's hell of a picture is one of those lines that doesn't seem like it should be that special, but I look forward to, and every time I'm rewatching, it always kind of reminds me of like, uh, for some reason, just the fact that like a kind of like an older guy is like really excited about this movie. It reminds me of like The Hunt for Red October or something. Yeah. It seems like like a real like dad movie that you could kind of get into. Yeah, it just seems like there's every stunt imaginable in this movie. Right. Yeah, Harrison Ford, like every action scene you can have, you have, you know, a helicopter chase and a car chase and a boat chase. There's everything to keep you entertained for an hour and a half. <laughs> I wonder why that helicopter had to land on top of the car. <laughs> <laughs> Move over two inches. It's city property. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that scene where... uh Jerry gets to see it, but George can't because Susan, who he mm-hmm. just got engaged to, isn't particularly interested in it. I believe they go to uh, the Muted Heart. Yes, <laughs> I wrote that one down. Glenn Close, Sally Field. Yeah, that should be good. You think she'll ever find him again? <laughs> I sure hope so. Yeah. But the... yeah, the Muted Heart is definitely hilarious because as soon as he says it, you know it's that um ultimate chick flick yeah right <laughs> just yeah it reminds me of beaches yeah <laughs> oh yeah yeah real tear jerker you know chick flick type film and like you said like the perfect they always do that thing where they introduce the two movies that are like the complete opposite and right yeah, of exactly. course muted heart like this <laughs> super chick flick with the exact opposite of like the big blockbuster firestorm you know that every guy that's sitting in Muted Heart wants to be watching Firestorm. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Another one, of course, we mentioned it earlier, is Sack Lunch. Oh, um, yeah. And the big question with that movie, you know, were they shrunk down or is it a giant sack? <laughs> what do you guys think? Well, real, well, that was what I was really thinking of when I said they paired the movies. Uh, Brendan, that was a great one, too, you mentioned. Um but yeah, when I was thinking of the English patient versus the sack lunch. Yeah. I always got the feeling of uh, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids vibe with that movie. Same. That's, that's exactly where mine went. my mind went to when uh, 
they kind of introduced the poster and kind of teased the idea. Yeah. Which had probably has come out, I mean, probably like four or five years before then, but it's kind of still yeah. definitely in the, uh, the popular conscience at that point. Also, I don't feel it's as, as fun if uh, it's just a giant sack. <laughs> that would like, be a pretty boring movie. Yeah. I feel like if they're shrunk down, you know, it makes it a little more interesting. Yeah. When I was trying to do, because uh, I did the VHSs, I did like one of Rochelle Rochelle, one of Sack Lunch. <laughs> and like the cover of those are easy to do because you have the posters to work off of. But I try to make it so if you like, you flip it over, you look at it, it's going to be like a real release. So I had to write like a plot description like a cast listing and everything. And I try to pack it with little jokes and references to Seinfeld, but for sack lunch, the back of the box is really challenging. Cause the whole joke is you don't know like anything about the movie. Right. So it was like really hard to write a plot description where like, I don't know what this is. So I have to like dance around, you know, it could be either option totally. So yeah, it's one of those ones that, like you said, it's like the perfect contrast to English patient, like the big Oscar bait movie. This is like the dumb family movie that, yeah. It's probably really successful, even though it's just like a churned out kind of dumb idea. Mm-hmm. But the other thing, too, is the fact that Elaine is kind of excited to see it kind of does say something because she is a little bit more sophisticated. And maybe somebody that she knows told her that, oh, yeah, it looks like a dumb family movie that's just this, you know, cheesy. Oh, you're like a trunk down, but it's actually a lot more clever than people let on to, you know. And it's one of those hidden gems. So like, cause the fact that Elaine likes it, obviously she's like her taste, like we said in Ponce de Leon, she's like, I hated that movie. Obviously there was a reason she hated it. And there are some movies that she, and when she sees the English patient, she's like, well, yeah, it's supposed to be this great, you know, film that, uh, you know, is so deep and romantic, but she sees something in it that is just, she hates and then on the flip side of it, in Sack Lunch, there's something that she sees that is actually very clever. Sex in a tub, that doesn't work. <laughs> <laughs> Can they make it any longer? <laughs> <laughs> Elaine, I hope you're looking at the clothes because I can't keep my eyes off the passion. <laughs> uh, sack Lunch definitely does sound like more of a gene pick, which we see later on in the series. Yeah. There's like the whole... <laughs> And, uh, you know, Elaine, she loves the Vincent one. So it is a little surprising how that would be up her alley. But going back to the action movies for a second, there's also Mountain High. Yes. <laughs> Kevin Bacon, Susan Sarandon. You've got to get me over that mountain. <laughs> there's no higher place than Mountain High. Any thoughts as to uh, why do people need to get over that mountain? Any theories about that? Yeah, I'm not too sure. I. My mind, whenever I heard that one, I, I figured it was like Cliffhanger or something. I think that came out with Stallone like two, three years before. And I know there's like one or two other kind of action movies that was just based on like being on a mountain or mountain climbing. So I don't know if that's like necessarily something that Kramer actually like came up with on his own or if that's the actual quote, because it kind of seems like you can imagine Kramer just sort of like inferring what the movie must be about based on like the title or something like that right <laughs> funny you say that because i think agent zero and brown-eyed girl they're not real movies <laughs> oh man <laughs> i think he just comes up with that on the spot because he's not looking at the paper you know right. he's just kind of like uh, brown-eyed girl <laughs> why don't you just tell me the name of the movie <laughs> yeah. 
Although I do have theories on what those two movies are about. Oh, but Mountain oh, High, I think, shit. is definitely... <laughs> Mountain High, I think, is um, probably about somebody that is like a mountain explorer and they just do it for fun or whatever. And maybe they work at like a ski resort or something. And then some major tragedy happens, like an avalanche or something. And they need to get to this town that's on the other side of the mountain. And, you know, <laughs> you know, it sounds a little on the nose, but, um, it, it, you know, just like a survival type film, uh, and brown eyed girl. Well, you probably, you guys probably know the song brown eyed girl by Van Morrison. So I figured that was maybe a biopic about, uh, about Van Morrison. <laughs> what about Chow fun? What could that be about? Oh yeah. That's one of those ones where it's definitely like the fun title. I feel like that always kind of jumps out to people. They only mentioned like once, but <laughs> it just seems like one of those things where it's a certain phrase that, that kind of sticks out to people. I don't know why. I just always think of like a light comedy about a chef. <laughs> a Mexican <laughs> chef. <laughs> he mimed it. That's what was so funny about it. God. She was cooking dinner for God. <laughs> Well, I kind of thought about Chow Fun, and again, I went a little deeper, and maybe it's about these people that always visit this one Chinese restaurant in their neighborhood, and then it turns out that the people that own the restaurant, the only ones that trust these other people, and they need them for some sort of mission, and they call the mission Chow Fun because it kind of throws people off the scent. So it's, you know, this sort of action comedy movie. That kind of seems like it would be like of the era. I could totally imagine. Right. Like an ensemble <laughs> cast or something. Yeah. <laughs> like, who do who would you get? Like uh, Robin Williams? Uh, <laughs> yeah, I could see Robin Williams maybe throwing like a Hugh Grant just to kind of get like the the English guy to get a little contrast. James Hong would play the restaurant owner, obviously. Oh, of course. <laughs> Another one is Cry, Cry Again. We know it's an arty movie. I always like picture a Woody Allen, like Midnight in Paris kind of feel. <laughs> we know it takes place in Paris. Yeah, they show that shot of the Eiffel Tower. Yeah. Right before you see that wounded dancer. Yeah. <laughs> So you cry, and then when you see the dancing, you cry again. <laughs> the man is trying to buy back a loaf of his soul. When? when? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's definitely one of those avant-garde sort of foreign movies that somehow made it big. Maybe there's like some big name American actress that is in it. Like, if it was made nowadays, I could see like an Emma Stone being in it. That's like playing, you know, an American that falls in love with this Parisian man and it's sort of their lives together. And, you know, sort of like a romantic comedy drama. Yeah. I kind of imagine like that. Uh, I think the movie Amelie, I think that's French. That's kind of what I would imagine would be in there. I guess we know considering a guy's buying back a loaf of his soul, I'm guessing maybe it has to do with a baker who, uh, <laughs> Perhaps yeah. got fired for selling a hair with a cake around it or something like that. <laughs> selling a marble ride that got stolen on the street. <laughs> Shut up, y'all. Back. <laughs> uh, well, one movie I wanted to bring up for sure is uh, Blimp. 
the Hindenburg. <laughs> <laughs> That's gotta hurt. Yeah. <laughs> That's gotta hurt. <laughs> That's something that has definitely not been made a movie about, but it's definitely like something George would not think about joking about. <laughs> <laughs> right. Do you think that's an action movie or do you th- do you think it's like more of a romantic? I always kind of got to feel like it could be Titanic, something like Titanic. Yeah. I, I always thought it was more of a like historical fiction. Okay. It's just more straightforward cuz when George makes the joke, he sort of makes it seem like it's part of this very serious movie. So I don't think it's like a Titanic necessarily. I think it's more of like this historical depiction. My mind, I, I, this is one of the ones where I thought that's got to be the, the clearest of like, it's a direct parody. I kind of figure it was Titanic because I think that was like probably just a year before. And when Titanic came out, that seemed like it was like the biggest movie ever. Yeah. And it's kind of similar where it's like this tragedy. And I remember going to see Titanic. It was like, there's like five, 10 minutes where it's just people like dying or freezing. Yeah. And it was like, it kind of like it was a long movie, but it kind of got awkward at that point. So I could totally imagine someone like George thinking they're really clever, like shouting out a one liner. <laughs> yeah. Like when Jack is frozen, that's got to hurt. <laughs> <laughs> I do love that, that plot in general. I know a lot of people aren't crazy about the Puerto Rican day parade. I like it, but that, that George storyline, I feel like goes a little underappreciated. Just the oh, idea is. to like go out there just for that one line is pretty funny. But um, <laughs> but he challenges Jerry too. He's like, "That's what you do, right?" Like, <laughs> no, it isn't. Uh, hell, I guess it is. <laughs> <laughs> you haven't played a room that big in a while, actually. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, I especially like that one because there's something in Seinfeld I see from time to time where it almost feels. I might be reading too much into it, but it kind of feels like they'll do stories that have to do with writing comedy. Like that one, there's like George is the whole thing where he has this joke, but he kind of has to negotiate with the guy with the laser pointer. So they're, they're kind of like debating like comedy and George kind of calls him a prop comic. And he's like, where's the craft and all that. Oh yeah, yeah. It kind of reminds me like you get something similar with like the jerk store. Where they're all debating what the best comeback is or when uh Elaine's doing the Ziggy comic, the complaint department. Yeah. I feel like anytime they do those scenes, it feels like you're like looking into like the writer's room. Cause they're all debating like what's funny and how this works and what audience you have to go towards. So I always going to get a kick out of those sort of scenes. Cause it definitely feels like very like meta and inside, but it's always still like pretty relatable and pretty funny. That's an interesting point because the Puerto Rican day parade, all the writers wrote that episode together. It was, oh, the, yeah. it was the episode before the finale. So it was kind of their finale. You know, all the writers that were a part of the last two seasons after Larry left, that was kind of like their last episode. I, and so it's interesting you bring that up. I didn't think of that. That makes a lot of sense. I'm sure they had a lot of similar conversations when they were, they were putting the episode together. And also that for some reason, George's little plot reminds me a lot. There's that, um, in the millennium, Jerry kind of has that offhand comment where he, he thinks of himself as a theater cut up, where he shouted, must miss at the screen. And <laughs> he's very proud how it worked. It's one of those things you could tell, like, there's those little things that pop up in Seinfeld again and again, where you could tell, like, the writers just love talking about that. And I think George's kind of thing is definitely pretty similar. Absolutely. 
Another one I like, I just like the title, is Cold Fusion. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we don't know much about what it's about, but I always picture like a Christopher Nolan kind of futuristic uh, sci-fi film. Yeah, that's what I picture, too, is definitely the sci-fi thriller where, yeah, there's like a futuristic society or this alternate universe where somebody's discovered Cold Fusion and they alone have the power and it's like this allegory for something but it definitely seems like one of those movies like uh, Prognosis Negative where everybody wants to go see it. And Yeah, there's a lot of titles that we get, but we just don't know anything about. Like Means to an End is another oh, one. Oh, yeah. Uh, and that just seems like, you know, it's sold out. That's another one that's sold out. So a lot of people want to see it. And then if you can't get into that, you see Blame It on the Rain. <laughs> <laughs> Which, yeah, Blame It on the Rain could be like a cheesy romantic comedy or something like that right you know based in a rainy city i don't know <laughs> i was gonna say rainy city i didn't think about that but there was you know sleepless in seattle was the big huge romantic comedy i wonder if that's supposed to tie into oh, it or yeah. something like that another movie that sounds awful is the pain and the yearning <laughs> <laughs> an old woman experiences pain and yearning <laughs> It's 192 minutes long. That's a lot of yearning. <laughs> the only dialogue we hear is, oh, brittle bones. How I long to be rid of the pain. Yeah, to me, that sounds like this really, again, another artsy movie where you're just kind of watching somebody, and, like waiting for Godot, where, you know, it's one scene and it's this person just kind of lamenting and agonizing and maybe you get some flashbacks to their life. And yeah, it just it's like because it's really a Vincent pick. Yeah. yeah, it really seems like a downer. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that's the one where it's like Elaine loves the Vincent picks, but that's like the one where it's even too much for her. Like 192 minutes of just miserable that you know an old woman suffering sounds. It's like one of those art movies that gets a little carried away. It's not even pleasant to watch at that yeah. point. Right. It's so emotionally exhausting. Yeah, speaking of Champagne Video Store, I think probably the comeback is the best episode for Champagne Video Store. There's so many scenes oh, in yeah. and out between the Vincent picks, the Gene picks. Oh, yeah. I've always wanted to like see if I could catalog all the movies that are on the shelves because they have those little like glancing shots in the background. Yeah. Every once in a while, I'll be able to spot one and identify it. Little details like that are always just fascinating to me. Yeah, well, going off of uh, emotional movies that are probably long and full of uh, you know emotionally draining, The Other Side of Darkness. Oh, a yeah. movie where Kramer realizes you can come out of a coma. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know it was possible not to know that. <laughs> she shot into that coma pretty quick. <laughs> Also, why did George want to see that movie so bad? It went straight to video, and he wants to see it? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks a lot. <laughs> How is Eric Roberts as the husband? Oh, unforgettable. <laughs> <laughs> I always wondered why he wanted to see that movie so bad. It does seem like an unusual one for him to, to pick out. Maybe he saw it at the video store and thought that it was interesting. <laughs> like maybe he thought there would be nudity in that as well. <laughs> shell, shell. <laughs> I do love when uh, Kramer's watching it and he's eating, and then I think she comes out of the coma, 
and I, Caroline, oh. it's just like, grab me a toothbrush is the yeah. first thing that she says. I think it, yeah, I think how it starts is a woman asks, doctor, how's her coma? And the doctor's like, well, exactly the same. Wait a minute. She's coming out of the coma. Mrs. Allwright, can you hear me? I feel so rested and refreshed. Get me a toothbrush. <laughs> I also love, I know a lot of people point this out, but that weird little uh, inconsistency where Kramer doesn't realize it's possible to come out of a coma. When they had the whole episode about a coma early on and Kramer has the whole right. philosophy, you have to jump into it right away. Yeah, but we also see that Kramer forgets very easily. <laughs> yes. <laughs> It's Bennett, right? <laughs> when last name was Bennis, you jackass. <laughs> we just saw her at the fireworks the other day. That was July 4th. <laughs> I was also going to say in the comeback, going off of that, we have the movie Betrayed. Vincent, mm-hmm. no. <laughs> and I love that because we, we get a cover for that, and that's definitely a movie that's about... You know, like I was thinking like a fatal attraction type movie where, you know, somebody goes crazy over a relationship and Elaine just sees it and is just, oh, no, like, Vincent, please. <laughs> I have the same thing written in my notes, fatal attraction. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Betrayed was one of those ones where I saw that and for the longest time I wasn't sure. I kind of assumed it was a real movie, actually, because they, they do intermingle. Like, they'll have, like, Weekend at Bernie's in there right. and then all the fake one. Right. Betray, when you look at it, it looks like such a real movie. I didn't even question it for the longest time. Yeah, same. There's also a debate. Is it Cupid's rifle or Cupid's rival? Oh, yeah. I think it's Cupid's rifle. What could that be about? Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> well, so you always think of Cupid as shooting an arrow, right? So maybe to update Cupid, he has a rifle instead of a bow and arrow. And it's, you know, in the sense that it's not gonna harm you but you know it makes you fall in love it's like an updated version of cupid and you're falling in love some kind of cheesy another cheesy romantic comedy yeah i could see that one last one i've got is uh flaming globes of sigmund yes yes which is a <laughs> classic i would love to see a sci-fi film with larry david in space <laughs> one of those cheesy b sci-fi movies just absolutely amazing yeah, I immediately thought of um, – I'm a big fan of, like, bad movies and stuff. So I saw that. My mind immediately went to Plan 9 from Outer Space. Right. <laughs> which is – it's actually mentioned in sci-fi a few times. It's, like, famously supposed to be, like, the worst movie ever. Um, <laughs> but I see, like, a lot of similarities. Like, the silver space suit, uh, the big, over-the-top kind of sci-fi monologue that Larry David gives sounds like it'll be something in Plan 9. and um. Even I think like the planet's on fire or whatever. I think that's similar to the plot in Plan 9 too. So yeah, judging that apparently, I guess Sherry or Larry, maybe both, happens to have an affinity for Plan 9 from outer space, it kind of makes sense. They'd sort of use that as kind of like an inspiration for that really weird scene. <laughs> yeah, and it's great too because I believe Larry David's character is supposed to be called Sigmund in that scene. We're just saying, look, Sigmund, it's just as you prophesied. The planets of our solar system incinerating like flaming globes, Sigmund, like flaming globes. 
So maybe it could be like an evil alter ego of a scientist that was created and is, you know, trying to destroy the solar system. And the scene that Jerry saw is like when, you know, the climax of the movie where the evil clone is doing his evil deeds and the scientist is trying to stop it. <laughs> yeah, for the longest time, I feel like I've looked up every once in a while, being a big Seinfeld fan, everything's cataloged online so well. You'll like look up Seinfeld movies. I've seen this one pop up and for a while I'm like, is, I guess that's the name of it. Like, cause you don't really know. You just see that one scene out of context. I guess yeah. on the DVDs, Larry Charles actually kind of says, this is the name of the movie. Larry Charles is the writer for the episode. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which is always kind of funny. Cause like the Seinfeld movies always stick out so much to the fans. But I know, uh, it's kind of feels like the writers kind of love them too. Cause they'll put in those little jokes here and there. Um, like Larry Charles likes it. I know David Mandel did at least channel. I think maybe death flow too. I'm not sure, but there's like, he's given details that didn't even make the episode. Like they fleshed out the idea of what their, their fake movie was so much. You could tell the writers also kind of enjoyed the idea of coming up with these, uh, the movies as well. Oh yeah, absolutely. I there's it's frustrating sometimes because I want to hear so badly the dialogue because there's a lot of times there is other dialogue in the scenes, but they're talking over it. So it's really it's difficult to make out what they're saying. Same. I wish I could. There's so many times to like rewound it and see if I could hear some of it. I'm always impressed. They even like bothered putting that in because I always think like when Seinfeld was around, I mean, you know, they air the episode and that was kind of it. You know, maybe you could see in syndication, but. Unless you videotaped it, like they weren't really expecting fans to be able to go back and catch all these little tiny details. They didn't have DVR or DVDs mm-hmm. or anything. So it's kind of crazy. They spent the time on putting all these little things in the background they could barely even notice unless you keep rewatching it. But um, you know, lucky for us, they did that. Yeah, exactly. And they probably put that stuff in for themselves just to say, well, this is what we're going to put in. If the fans notice it, they do. And if not, well. <laughs> <laughs> right. So we touched on some of the real movies on Seinfeld. You mentioned Plan 9 from Outer Space. We also talked about The English Patient, Home Alone, When George is Crying. Uh, (laughs) What are some of your other favorite real movies that they mention on Seinfeld? Uh, I do appreciate uh, the Schindler's List episode, how they (laughs) kind of keep bringing it up various times. And making out during Schindler's List is just like the most offensive thing anyone could think of and (laughs) of course in a very Seinfeld way they kind of end the episode with a little parody of the scene from Schindler's List which I think went over my head the first several times I watched it but uh, I always appreciate that one yeah they also do that ending with the Godfather as well in the bridge oh yeah right (laughs) great never go against the family Jerry (laughs) Godfather Godfather Uh, a very early reference I love is when Jerry and Elaine are at the video store. Elaine picks up the video. She says, oh, Cocoon 2, The Return. Well, I must have not liked it up there. <laughs> <laughs> what about Titanic when uh, George is like, so that old woman, she's just a liar, right? <laughs> a bit of a tramp if you ask me. <laughs> There's also George when uh, – he references a few good men. You know, I'm working on my Jack Nicholson. You can't handle the truth. <laughs> I also appreciate the uh, the Star Trek, and they do Rathacon. And uh, oh yeah, 
which shows up, I think, in like three or four episodes. You can tell they just love that bit of this, the spinning camera that <laughs> zooms out so much. They kept going at it, even though it didn't really tie into the episode. But you know, when George is so upset he can't get Twix, they just use that effect again. Oh, so fantastic. <laughs> Search for Spock. <laughs> I know Jerry will tell you that the Wrath of Khan is the better picture. <laughs> you doofus. <laughs> Star Wars too, you know, uh, Dustin Hoffman in Star Wars. Jewish <laughs> guy against Darth Vader? I don't think so. <laughs> There's Peterman and the chicken roaster with the horror. The horror. Oh yeah. Yeah, I'm always surprised. There's a lot of ones where there's like the bigger ones, like Godfather and stuff, that are kind of like more obvious. But they they put in so many little parodies or references to some movies that I didn't really know quite as well. Um, one I just found out recently, I'll have to double check to see if it makes sense, but that scene where, um, George doesn't have his glasses and he's trying to, he mistakes Jerry's girlfriend for making out with cousin Jeffrey. And yeah. there's the whole, uh, the part where he spots the dime from across the room. Yeah. I just recently read something that that might, that's supposed to be a parody from, uh, the great escape, the prison movie. Oh, uh, I didn't know this either. I guess there's a scene where. Burgess Meredith, he's like an older prisoner and he wants to get involved in the escape. No one really trusts him because they think he's too old. I guess there's a scene where he actually spots a dime or he uh, plants a dime in the jail cell. And then just so when people show up later, he could spot it in front of people to like show off that his vision works. So oh, it's wow. kind of like when when George does it later on, I didn't really catch that. But they kind of speculate he might have spotted it. It seems to be like they're kind of playing off that idea from that movie. That's amazing because we just had the biggest mysteries episode last week and we brought that up. Uh, if George, if George planted the dime or not, so that that might answer our question right there. Oh yeah, that's a good point. Um, obviously we got to bring up the back-to-back Marissa Tomei movies, uh, My Cousin Vinny and Only You. And I got to admit I've never seen Only You, but My Cousin Vinny is an amazing movie. <laughs> My Cousin Vinny is uh, delightful. That's, yeah, that's a good one to throw on every once in a while. <laughs> These two utes. <laughs> and you've seen that one too. What? You got a thing for her? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the the best parody has to be the the JFK. Oh yeah. Second spitter one. That one is just too perfect. And the fact yeah. that Wayne Knight was in the actual movie JFK also. Right. And, right. And reenacted <laughs> that scene in that film was just perfect. That is one magic loogie. <laughs> I'm leaving. Jerry's a nut. <laughs> <laughs> well, another one they do a parody of is Midnight Cowboy in the Mom and Pop store. Just going to bring that up, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, oh, yeah. So at the very end, there, Jerry, nosebleeds are starting again. <laughs> <laughs> one of my favorites is uh, two months ago, I saw a provocative movie on cable TV. It was called The Net with that girl from the bus. <laughs> also, we can't forget Breakfast at Tiffany's. All right. Oh, of course. She was a delicate flower. And George brings another Audrey Hepburn movie with him in the Diplomats Club. Does he say which that which movie that is? Or? I think he just says, I got another Audrey Hepburn movie. Yeah, right. Remy, I want you up here instantly. <laughs> Go away. Oh, how about uh, Chapter 2, Neil Simon? Mm-hmm. Oh, Chapter 2. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe I can't. <laughs> well, 
What about, you know, send of a woman? Hoo-ah! Hoo-ah! <laughs> <laughs> One I didn't get quite as much is, um, speaking of the place to be, when they get the, um, the billiard table installed in George's old bedroom, I didn't appreciate how much they're really playing off all the Hustler, the old uh, pool shooting movie. Oh, yeah. I kind of watched that like a year ago and I realized like a lot of the dialogue actually kind of plays off of it. And there's little bits here and there. Um, oh, wow. Yeah. If you, if you go back and watch it, it's like a lot of it rings familiar. You kind of realize like you can kind of tell when Kramer and, and Frank are shooting pool and they're like terrible and that like montage, how they're kind of like playing off something. But when you actually go back and watch those two uh, back to back, you could kind of see that's clearly like that, what they had in their mind. That's really interesting. I'll have to go back and watch that. Yeah, another thing that was brought to my attention is in the Switch. You have that um, those scenes where Jerry and George are planning out the Switch and where Newman is in the trench coat and he meets Babs, and you have that 1940s noir music playing. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, you can tell they were really interested in that uh, genre. What about um, when Elaine brings up the omen to Kramer? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Kramer, what exactly was that kid? What, Damien? It was just a mischievous, rambunctious kid. <laughs> <laughs> we can't forget Edward Scissorhands. Of course. Oh, of course. <laughs> Johnny Depp, be making me cry. <laughs> Did you ever think what you're going to do on the toilet? <laughs> what are you going to do on the toilet? <laughs> I'd have shoehorn hands. <laughs> 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 There's also I don't know who's showing up The good, the bad, or the ugly <laughs> It has a certain understated stupidity <laughs> I'll watch Josie Wales <laughs> yeah. I was humming that song from The Lion King Hakuna Matata I thought I was alone That doesn't make it right <laughs> <laughs> And before we go One last one we can't forget is Stella. Yeah. <laughs> Stella. One of the greats. Well, this has been a lot of fun going over some of our favorite movies on Seinfeld, both the fake movies and the real ones. We want to thank our guest, Brendan, for joining us. Please check him out on Instagram at Champagne Video Store. It's an amazing account. If you're a Seinfeld fan, you'll love it. And we thank you so much for coming on. We hope to have you back soon. Yeah, thanks so much for having me on, guys. This is a lot of fun. Yeah, thanks. thanks. No, this was a lot of fun. This this one we were looking forward to, and you made it such a great episode. Oh, thanks, guys. We appreciate it. Have a good one. Take care. All right. Have a good night. Bye. Thank you for listening to our discussion about all the movies on Seinfeld with our friend Brendan. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at theplacetobeseinfeld at gmail.com. You can also follow us on Facebook at The Place to Be, a Seinfeld podcast, Twitter at TPTB Seinfeld, and Instagram at The Place to Be podcast. You can find our show on Anchor, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Breaker, Pocket Casts, Radio Public, and Apple Podcasts. And if you'd like, please rate and review. It really helps us out. Until next time, make sure to hang up your pants for the perfect crease. Hello, and welcome to Movie Fun. If you know the name of the movie you'd like to see, press 1.
Come on, come on. Using your touchstone keypad, please enter the first three letters of the movie title now. You've selected Agent Zero. If that's correct, press one. What? Uh, you've selected Brown-Eyed Girl. If this is correct, press one. Why don't you just tell me the name of the movie you selected? Channel? To find the theater nearest you, please enter your five-digit zip code now. Why don't you just tell me where you want to see the movie? Lowe's Paragon, 84th and Broadway. Channel is playing at the Paragon 84th Street Cinema in the main theater at 9.30 p.m. Yeah, now I catch it. It's also playing in theater number two at 9 o'clock. 